Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 32, Act 1, No Umbrella, recorded June 16th, 2020 in Brooklyn, New York. One size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA community. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Help us spread the word and tell a friend or a colleague to subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or any podcast player. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram. And we now have a pod shop. Go to teachingartistry.org slash pod shop and buy yourself a tank top. It's hot out there. A t-shirt, a mug, or maybe you're a little chilly in the, in the AC. We have hoodies. Oh, and we also have very large tote bags. Shop to your heart's content. Did you know? Hey, did you know <laughs> that uh, the podcast also expanded to YouTube with a video series that ran between April through June called Keep Making Art. And this was in partnership with Creative Generation. Check out all 30 episodes and subscribe to the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body YouTube channel. Also, stay tuned for a new video series coming your way soon. Black Lives Matter. They mattered last month, the previous month, Years ago, hundreds of years, long, 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 always. And we should be listening to black voices, black leaders, black facilitators, black artists. And I pay honor to black indigenous people of color or BIPOC. Now I work in theater for young audiences and theater education. And there is an absolute need to examine and interrogate our daily practices, as well as listen and act to radically move into a space of of racial justice. And justice is love, radical love. I was invited to join a panel hosted by TYA USA, which was co-led by board members Idris Goodwin, Uh, who's a playwright and artistic director, and Dexter J. Singleton, who's a founding uh, executive artistic director. On June 16th, 2020, TYA USA hosted a virtual town hall. 
the Teaching Artistry podcast proudly presents Centering Black Leadership in TYA. Here is episode 32, Act 1, No Umbrella. Hello, everyone. If you are viewing this right now, we are going to be starting very soon the Centering Black Leadership in TYA conversation. Uh, my name is Idris Goodwin. I'm one of your moderators. We're very excited to begin. We'll be beginning very shortly. So get yourself a cold beverage, find you a Kente cloth, um, go find your nearest Democrat, get you a Kente cloth, um, light some incense, summon the ancestors. It's about to get very black up in here and very brilliant. I'm very excited and we're going to change everything or at the very least, have a few laughs. All right, I think I'm ready to get this thing cranking. Now, I can't see any of you out there in the um, internet world, but uh, I know you're there and I know you are ready. Uh, so first and foremost, my name is Idris Goodwin. Um, I am a, a playwright and the director of the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center at Colorado College. Um, I'm also a member of TYA USA's board. Um, and I am one half of your moderating team today. I am joined by fellow Detroit native, um, Dexter J. Singleton, who is a theater artist and the founder, executive director of Collective Consciousness Theater in Connecticut. Uh, it is a multicultural theater company dedicated to social change through the art of live theater workshops and community conversations. What's good, sir? Hey, everybody. Uh like Idris said, I'm Dexter Singleton uh, from Collective Consciousness from New Haven by way of Detroit, Michigan. So uh, we're excited to bring a great panel, um, you know, great leaders who are doing fantastic things all around the country. And so I'm excited to hear what they have to say and, um, and take some questions from everybody. Great, great. And so um, also too, just, just a real quick, so everybody knows what we mean by centering black leadership and TYA. TYA is theater for young audiences. So theater, that's like any other theater. Uh, but we, when we're thinking about who's going to be in that audience, we're thinking about young people, you know, K through 12 primarily, uh, but theater like anybody's theater, um, but with a particular focus. Um, and then as far as centering Black leadership, the folks that uh, I'm going to be introducing to you in, in just a moment, you know, are the people who are, um, you know, creating the spaces, facilitating the spaces, creating the opportunities, um, building, building the, the, the spaces for the work uh, to happen. Um, there was a report that just came out showing um, a major study of our field that showed that, um, you know, there, there continues to be um, a dearth of, uh, uh, black, indigenous, people of color uh, in leadership positions uh, in the field. And so uh, this, this, this gathering of folks right now is not something that happens often. Uh, and I just want to assure everyone that while you are looking at our six lovely brown faces, um, our white allies are close by uh, so don't, so don't get too reckless. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm ready to introduce <laughs> the panel of speakers and I'm very fired up because I am um, a fan of all of these folks and I have tremendous respect for all of them. And, um, and so I just feel this is like a good day to be me. Um, 
So first and foremost, I want to introduce um, Jacqueline Handy, uh, who is the manager of programming at Lincoln Center Education. Hello, Jacqueline. Hey, y'all. Uh, next, we have Courtney J. Body, uh, director of education and school engagement for the New Victory Theater. Um, she is also the host and creator of the podcast Teaching Artistry. What's good, Courtney? Nice to be here. Thanks. Thanks, EGs. Also in the virtual building, we have Michael J. Bobbitt, uh, who's a theater artist and the artistic director of New Repertory Theater in Greater Boston. What's good? Straight out of Boston. <laughs> All right, go Celtics. Okay. And last but certainly not least, uh, the one and only Gloria Bond Clooney, an award-winning playwright, director, and educator, and all-around champion in the field. Hello, Gloria. Um, so, yo, uh, Dexter, let's, let's, let's kick this thing off. I mean, where should we begin? There's so much to get into. I would love to hear from everyone, uh, our, all of our panelists, uh, and just, just uh, update on everyone on, you know, we know there's a lot that's going on um, as leaders, right? As just human beings, as black bodies uh, that's happening right now. And uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, how you're feeling, right? What's on your mind, what you're thinking as a black leader, as a, as a black person, a black body. Um, and then uh, how are you responding, right, to things that are happening right now? Oh, you're, you're muted, Gloria. You're muted. Because time is short, I guess I'll jump in, thanks. Um, where am I now? Uh, as young as this face looks, on my birth certificate is Negro. One of the first plays that I wrote, sorry about that. One of the first plays that I wrote was um, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And now I'm in Black Lives Matter. Uh, not too far long ago, wrote hashtag love stories inspired by Black Lives Matter. So I'm in, and it was a really good question because I was doing, doing, doing. And when you ask it, when you pose the questions earlier, I realized um, I was a bit, I was in pain. I was deja vu, but hoping for something new. Um, inspired. Um, went on a march with my sign, but also what am I doing? I'm writing, you know, and I look back at a lot of my plays from North Star to just different plays that have dealt with racism, that have dealt with the Birmingham bombings, civil rights marches, Black um, uh, Million Man March as background pieces, um, Black Lives Matter in 2014. So I look at them as background, pe uh, you know, the history and that, the, that so Having written about him, I went back to some of those plays and just looked at him and said, wait a minute, deja vu again. Uh, but again, there is a sense of something new. There is a sense of um, a moment, an opportunity. And my question is how we're going to use this moment, this opportunity for change. Uh, there is evolution that I've seen. I don't think we can end racism. You know, I've been quarantined for, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, and 
that whole idea when Amelia Brown at the TYA conference talked about uh, the epidemic, you know, and we hear it a lot now, but she called it three, I mean, it's always been there and it's been called, but I mean, to call it at a TYA conference when that was not necessarily the topic, she put her finger on it, that it is an emergency, that it's an epidemic, uh, and we're trying to get COVID uh, uh, inoculation, herd immunity, you know, like with the COVID, but it takes 70 to 90% of people to be immune before you have immunity, herd immunity. Well, I think right now we're working on herd, H-E-A-R-D, immunity, meaning being heard, taking action, that ear is not a mouth, that ear is a here, and it is not going, from, from, as I said, from my moment, I know it's not going to end. We are not going to end racism, but we may be able to inoculate from, for immunity, okay? So that's where I am, so at that point. I think I'm a, I'm a little bit fired up because um, one, I think this moment is making me realize that all the things that I've been trying to do in my professional career as a, as a leader of theaters has been about building a strong anti-racist structure around me. I didn't know I was doing that. I think the clarity that has happened in the last few weeks has been amazing. And so I'm, I'm a little fired up about it. I'm a little bit uh, more brave about speaking up um, in front of colleagues. You know, uh, many of us on this call right now are uh, black leaders working for predominantly white organizations. And I find the stress and the paradox of being in the middle of it, trying to end anti-racism, but being surrounded by structures and systems and people and policies and supremacy and all this kind of stuff can, can, be, can be a little, um, can be stressful. So I'm focusing on up in my um, self-care. I have um, an excitement about maybe, maybe not the end of racism, but possibly the beginning of the end of racism, Gloria. Okay, yes. I, <laughs> I am a little, I had, a, I had a, a, a new colleague say to me the other day that white guilt doesn't last long. And right now I'm sure y'all are all getting texted by your white friends checking in on you. Um, some of that might be coming out of white guilt. Um, so how long is that gonna last before we go back to the systems that we have? I'm also a little bit, because protesting and rioting is not sustainable. And, uh, and, and I haven't seen yet that single leader, that 1960s single leader stepping up. I mean, I'm happy to pass a hat and raise money to hire Obama to do this. But I think, I think you know, we, I think that's what's, what's going to take someone that knows the system, capitalism and politics, and can say, here's our next move, everyone. Go here, do this. Don't ride the bus until they let us sit wherever we want. Um, so I have a lot of hope and faith, a little stressed about white guilt fading away, and a little stressed about how sustainable rioting and, and protesting is. I mean, I have about four or five statues I can pull down, but I can't pull down 20, y'all. I'm going to get tired. <laughs> tired, so. I hear you. I think for me, we're still very active at Lincoln Center Education. It's so hard to be present. It's so hard to show up on Zoom calls and talk about deliverables and what we're going to do this summer. Uh, 
I've been leaning on the artistry and thinking about my anti-racist practice in who I'm presenting and what's going on, not the stages, but what's going online. Um, thinking about that a lot, but also self-reflecting on how I'm being anti-racist. Am I being anti-racist enough? I feel like the answer mm -hmm. And this came from people challenging me, me asking questions like, do we really need to defund the police completely? I'm a homeowner. I want to be able to call if some stuff goes down. But realizing that that's not enough and that this system is built on racism and having my own experiences. You know, we, uh, my friends got together for the first time since COVID and we decided as 28-year-old to 33-year-old adults, we were going to play tag. And we had our own Karen moment where one of the neighbors, not realizing that we owned this property, called the cops. And they came and said, you know, I said, we're going back to the house. He said, you're not leaving without talking to me. And I didn't realize then that that was a moment where I could have died. So like seeing myself in all of these people, I've always been able to because we have the same skin tone, we come from the same backgrounds, but actually being in that moment is something I'm really reflecting on. There you go, um, again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I sit in this spot for many different reasons. This is my work spot. Um, and work for me can look a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I, I'm a director of education and my responsibility is making sure that as many kids in New York City have access to see shows on our stage. And at this moment, that's not possible, right? And most of those students, a high majority of them are, are, are black and, and, and brown. And so that's immediately where my brain goes. Um, I'm a very visual person um, and I feel as though uh, for me, going to look at uh, either resources or, or uh, images that speak to me help me to sort of process and then realize what my next step uh, or conversation or moment can be. So I, I, I sort of, I hear you, Michael, about that paradox moment because I have been in many conversations with many different people within our, our institution uh, who are working part-time, who are working full-time, who have many different points of view on this work. Uh, and the way to be anti-racist and, uh, and embed those things into our, or those constructs into our practice, which is incredibly uh, challenging when everything's predicated and it's all baked in, right, in terms of supremacy. And we don't even know it. Like, we, we're just coming to the realization that that is actually what's happening. What we think of as systems that help productivity is actually... Uh, a, a construct or a possible construct of white supremacy, um, but we think it's just to help things run smoothly. So there's a big, there's a big like uh, shakeup there, and then in the mindset, like I wrote a whole thing, so I'm 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 pulling a little bit from there. Is just thinking about roles. What's my role? How can I be productive? I'm not for health reasons. I'm not somebody who can go out into protest, um, whether how for however long that they go. But I'm living in a neighborhood where those protests are happening pretty frequently. And so there's a, there's a lot of feelings about the fact that I can't do that. So what can I do? But, oh God, I should be, you know, so that's where I'm at a little bit. Um, I also think a lot about my parents who both passed away on the same day, uh, 11 years apart, but like who grew up, you know, being called Negroes or colored. <sighs> right, in the deep south or the south of Chicago. Um, my father actually integrated his college campus in 1964. 
as a as a 19 year old. Uh, so these are the things that are coming to the fore for me and how to, how and what does that mean for me and what I can do in terms of listening, in terms of using my voice, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, not backing down from conversations to make somebody else feel comfortable. That's a big deal. <laughs> um, and, and it's a new way of, for me to be the uh, uh, thinking. Dexter, same question for you, sir. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, my organization at Collective Consciousness, you know, we're a social justice organization, like you had just mentioned. Um, so we're often, you know, uh, doing a lot of this work, you know, every day, right, uh, at our organization uh, and put in, you know, uh, people of color and black bodies first. You know, we just produced um, the show Passover by Antoinette Nwandu, uh, and it was a great, great success for us community-wise. Got families in there and people talking, obviously, and then looking at, you know, action that we can then take in the community. Uh, but I saw the cover of a uh, Time magazine. I think Time magazine was last week, right? And it has the cover, right, where it has America... Uh, and it has the years, like 1968, and it's scratched out. And whatever next year, it's scratched out, it's scratched out, scratched out. And we see that, right, we're still, as uh, Black citizens, as people of color, we're still dealing with the same issues, right? I'm still dealing with the same issues that my parents dealt with, same issues that, right, the previous generation dealt with in terms of still not a great, not a good relationship or not a great relationship with, with police, still dealing with racism, uh, systemic racism, uh, and in many cases, it's, it's often worse, right? And so that's really sad uh, that that's the case. And my mom, you know, grew up like, you know, a couple of you mentioned, my mom grew up in Alabama, uh, in, the, in, in, that, in the heart of George Wallace um, as governor of that state. Um, so, and I have two black boys. And so seeing those black boys and knowing I have to have the conversation with them, it always comes for me of how soon well, I need to have that conversation with these two young black boys that I'm raising. Because with every passing year, with every passing uh, moment uh, that we see, um, though that year has to be an earlier year, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and we as a nation have to be able to say enough is enough. Um, enough is enough. And it just becomes, are we at that point? Um, and so that's where I'm at right now. Um, it's very frustrating, right? Very painful um, that we're still at this. But as always, as theater artists, we have to look at, okay, how are we going to respond? And as leaders, how are we going to respond? And, you know, we are fortunate enough uh, to have the platform to be able to, um, you know, try to implement some change um, in our communities and in our spaces. And so, um, you know, hopefully we're all able to do that. Yeah, that, uh, to, to your question, um, and thank you all for your responses, amazing and, and really, really hits in here. Um, to your question, um, Dexter, I, I also have two sons of color, and um, uh, one of the, the tools that helped me have that conversation with my seven-year-old was uh, the CNN special, uh, was Van Jones and Sesame Street. And so the characters of Sesame Street, and also other kids, they like worked in these videos of submitted videos of kids 
questions as well. And it really made, reminded me of what we do in the very specific and unique space that we occupy. And I think a very necessary, very critical one right now is that we are dedicated to engaging young people. And so I, that, that's my next question for you all is, you know, as you're wrestling as, as owners of black bodies, you know, also wrestling with people who have committed themselves to, you know, preparing young people, you know, and using the arts to, to help young people reflect. What are you thinking about right now um, in terms of what you want to impart? You know, um, are you feeling like you're in a space where you're equipped to, um, you know, do you see challenges? Do you see, do you, do you speculate that there'll be things that will change for the better, for worse? Just general thoughts about, um, you know, the, the role of, uh, of arts and the young people in a moment like this one. I think that um, what I love about TYA and I miss doing it every single day, y'all, I miss it. Um, getting a chance to write some stuff, but I miss being around it and hearing the laughter from the audiences and seeing the kids in the classroom every single day. Uh, I have to get my fix somewhere else. Um, but I, what I love about it is that we have the opportunity to change hearts and minds. Hopefully what we're changing when they come to see the work on our stages is, is reinforced when they get home, but we don't know that. But for that little hour that we have them, we can, we can impart some thoughts about the world. I have always in my, in my um, life as a, as an artist, tried to center my work that features people of color um, around the contributions of culture and the joy of culture, as opposed to the travesties of race and the traumas of race. Uh, it's always there as a given circumstance, but not necessarily present in the plot. Um, and I think that that's what I can do. The other thing I can do, and this may be a tangent, but so, so to end racism, we got to change hearts and minds, but we also have to like start dismantling all these systems that are in place that are in place. And I've been on this soapbox recently about <clears throat> the difficulty we have in, in the fact that we have been pontificating about this subject of being more equitable, diverse, inclusive, and accessible for years now. And we have barely moved the needle. We have barely moved the needle. And I say shame on us. Because, because we have not moved that needle. Um, and I also think that some of the reason why we haven't done that is because we still are working within these structures that are, are, are contributing to the perpetuation of this. Everything from like subscriptions, it's a white racist concept. Who has the money to buy their tickets a year and a half in advance? What seats are they buying? You have to think about that. Yeah the way you budget for your seasons. Are you budgeting based on trends from last year? Or if you're a predominantly white organization, you're budgeting to maintain your predominantly white organization. So what about values and inclusion-based budgeting? What about not even trying to make our leaders budget for a year and a half, 16 months in advance? How about three months budgets? There has to be some other system for doing it. Season planning, how often when you're season planning do you hear our subscribers won't like that, our donors won't like that? Or if you're Again, if you're a white organization, you're planning a season around what you have, the status quo. Um, uh, and even the way boards of directors function, you know, the, the, non, the, the IRS says we have to have at least three people be on our boards. These three people have somewhat of a contribution to your organization financially and usually no expertise. 
but yet they have the power in the vote to make decisions happen. Those are the systems that I talk, we talk about and I think about every day that contribute to the racism that is, that is prevalent in every single nonprofit arts organization. And those are the things we have to like really start. We can't dismantle it by creating programs and initiatives and community outreach. We have got to go back and fix the structures because it won't change until we change those structures. So those things together. That really resonates. And I think reckon. Go ahead, Lori. Go ahead. Just no, I just want to say this. Stories. <laughs> I'm looking on stories. You know, I, I'm in, as a presenter, I'm going out and seeing things, and we see lots of white children who get to go to the moon, who get to go deep sea exploring, who get to do all these journeys and adventures. But when we see stories of black children, they're talking about their struggle. And it ends with joy, generally but it's probably set somewhere between the civil rights movement to modern day, and it's about their struggle. So I'm excited and hopeful for more joy, for more adventure, for more just exploration in the stories that we're telling and putting on our stages. That struggle is re-injuring. It's re-injuring to go see it all the time. I don't wanna see it. It's important to know the history. So I do think it's pieces of that need to be there, but it can't be the whole version, story. not the whole story. Some balance. Well, I think it's I, the power of the play. Yes, I agree with you with stories, with um, the joy in stories, that this is a wonderful birthday suit, that this is, um, that who we are intrinsically is powerful and re regardless of the setting that we're in, be it an, an astronomer, be it a, um, uh, a bird watcher, um, be it just different, the, the range of who we are. Um, but I think that that power of the story is, is very much, as you said, in the season. But I wish, as you said, uh, Michael, that the season had more immediacy. The season is maybe planned for a whole year, maybe two years, maybe three years ahead of a time. And now we look at this moment, that season's not happening. And we're in a world that moves fast now. We're in a world that has, um, that can spin on a dime, life can spin on a dime. And that whole idea of, is there a place within the planning that creates a moment where immediacy can happen, where devised theater can happen, where a playwright can be called in and said, this is the moment that my community is struggling with now. In a year and a half, we won't understand it in the same way. So that, that idea of uh, room for immediacy, um, that it's getting deeper, that there's, on another tip, people. As you said, who are on the boards, who's systematically there, who are in the rooms making the decisions, and not just on decision, decisions for the Black History Month play, uh, for the play about a person of color, uh, for the play that has a predominantly Black cast. Um, I think some of you know how I responded. There was a play, Me Jane, that last year, we all, after um, seeing um, uh, phenomenally diverse theater, and the play is about Jane Goodall, lover, monkey, was my favorite toy when I was growing up, flub-a-dub. But when I watched, and it's the story of Jane Goodall, but when I watched that play, 
I was broken because when I, everybody stood up and they applauded. But what I took away from the play is that Africa is monkeys, jungle, and a white girl. And I was in tears, but there was a whole TYA audience who just listened to Pearl C talk, standing up, applauding. And I was confused. And I was, and I said, I mean, so that whole idea, and, and it wasn't out of malice that this was, and it may have been just the interpretation, but that's how it struck me. What I appreciated was when I had conversations about it, um, uh, that people said there was a sense of, oh, I didn't see it that way. So if we're not in all of the rooms, the rehearsal rooms when uh, a me Jane is happening, how can uh, the reflection of who we are be resonated when we're not in that play about the astronomer or about the um, medical doctor or about the, the, fair, the, the dancing fairy? How can we reflect how our eyes are seeing it uh, and how black children or children of color, and I'm not just saying black children, I mean, Latino, uh, Latinx, um, uh, if you're a Native American, how are you going to see it? An Asian child, how is an Asian child going to be seeing theater now when somebody walking down the street just made a comment uh, about COVID came from Asia? So what's happening now, the immediacy and uh, who's in the room and all of the rooms from the boardroom on down? And it's going to be challenging and it's going to be ouchy and painful and to make those changes. Wow. That's, that's well Very, said. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Courtney. I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. Can I go next? Thanks. Uh, yeah. I, I, just to pick up on what Gloria said about Pearl, um, she, she gave this beautiful and uh, eloquent speech and that the thing that still sticks with me is look to the babies. And, and uh, the other day, I, so I live in a building and there's a courtyard in the back and, you know, people are being a little bit more social, even keeping distance within that sort of confined space. And I met a friend who was not quite two years old and we just hung out. And in my, in the back of my head, this is literally like two days ago, maybe three days ago. I don't know. Sometime recently. Um, and I thought the same thing, like, look to the babies. And that for me, there's, there's, um, I went straight into thinking about what is my responsibility and what, what have I learned in the last year, pre-COVID and, um, and uh, at another such event where we're all gathered together at IPAY, I was listening to an, uh, an indigenous artist talk about how art is completely woven into their culture. It's not sitting outside. And so that's something I'm interested in is about weaving cult, uh, arts completely into the, the fabric of everything that we do. Um, and that ultimately we are in the business of raising children, whether you have a child or not. And so the, the, the idea of taking that responsibility very seriously, that it's all of our children, no matter what they look like, whether again, if they are yours or not, we are responsible for them. And then if we can shift our mind in that way. And then uh, the other, uh, the other um, thing that's ringing out to me is 
something that I've heard also over the last couple of years that, you know, an indigenous way of, uh, of, of thinking is that whatever you're doing now is in service of seven generations into the future. And that also in an African culture uh, and perspectives, it's all about collaboration and community. And that very much resonates, both of those things resonate mm -hmm. for me. Um, so that's what, where my brain was going again around like what kind of <laughs> stories are being told how it shouldn't be, um, you know, only the sort of re-traumatization, but the, that, the, the, and, and to Jackie's point that, yeah, there should be stories about, you know, uh, Black figures and events that are a part of American and African-American history, but also that should be interwoven with contemporary stories with Black characters who have that panoply of, uh, uh, you know, experiences and emotions and, um, uh, 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 Complexities, right? Um, and that's what, coming back to that little boy that I met the other day. It's like, you know, where, where does that sort of, where does that kid become a threat? That's something that I heard Dexter say, right? Like, when does that happen? And I don't want that to happen. So what if we can be thinking about that? Like, how can we create a world where a little black boy or a little black girl who shouldn't be adultified after, um, you know, at the age of seven, how they can be a child and experience joy and triumph and tell stories or and not be surprised when they see something that represents them on a stage, but actually that it is completely the norm in all of the spaces. That they are actually incorporated into the storytelling, that we break those walls. We see now what walls don't, they don't, they actually hinder us. So what if we literally <laughs> and figuratively broke those walls down um, and uh, uh, start to tell stories in that way. And then thinking about that in all the rooms, like Gloria said, like how we make sure that people are in, people of color, black people, uh, indigenous people, people of color, Latinx, Asian, that we are in all of the rooms, not as a percentage, not as a statistic, but actually to have the ability to have the equal uh, and uh, equitable voices to be able to think about what those stories are, how they're portrayed, who's directing them, who's working backstage or as part of the tech crew. That's where my brain goes. That's great. So, so we're, we're getting into uh, some very spicy territory, which I'm very excited about, which is, which is breaking down and building back up, right? So we are at a moment um, where, I mean, this is one of those, like, we can't go back from this kind of moments, you know? And, you know, I was talking with someone who, who was living in LA during the LA riots and we were talking about you know, how that one was, th this is similar in some ways, but it's different because it's not being documented in real time by everyone on the street. Like we're still learning about the LA riots, right? Um, but yeah, you weave in the pandemic too. Um, so I wonder about this question of, you know, how do we begin to rebuild? Like, you know, hypothetically, we're sitting here, we have the space to dream. And I wanna share a couple questions that have come in the chat that I think would be a good spark. And I'm gonna sort of bundle two of them together. Um, the question is, uh, do the panelists have specific concrete examples, successful disruption or dismantling of the structures? Michael and Gloria referred to around boards and perhaps even more critically regarding funding structures, examples where funding slash philanthropy slash fundraising actually supports equity, all caps, instead of reinforcing traditional power dynamics. 
Um, and then there's another one, how can arts administrators dismantle and structure the power held within boards of directors when the boards of directors are the ones who hold the final decision-making power? Do you have suggestions for helping boards of directors understand the necessity for making these changes? So how do we do it, my friends? How do we do it? How do we get around? What have we seen? Case studies? How do we respond to this question around the boards and the structures? So I'm making happen. Yeah, I'll say that um, this may upset a lot of friends, but I think we as arts industry are amazing, brilliant at the arts, but maybe not as strong <laughs> at building finances and that, that sort of thing. Um, and maybe that's something we have to recognize for ourselves and admit ourselves. And maybe it's time for us to collaborate with economists and futurists and MBAs and entrepreneurs and social scientists to figure out systems that work best. You know, I think my friend Leon Sima, who's managing director at Adventure Theater, taught me that um, policies exist on a bell curve. In the middle of that bell curve, you're taking care of most of the people, but on the ends of policies, you're going you're gonna to be screwed, screwed, right? Problem with that is that the people that are making the policies all look the same. So they're only taking care of the people that look like them. That's one of the reasons why you have to have diversity in the room, because if you really have more people that are making the rules, change the policy. The other thing I would say is, <clears throat> in many ways, the rate, racism will end when the people that made the rules change the rules, right? The people that made the rules have the power to change the rules. Women's right to vote was not changed by women. It was changed by men. Robinson was the first person to break the color barrier. He was the first person to be allowed by white men to play in the major leagues. So I can't give you examples, whoever that question is. What I'm saying to you is you have the power to change the rules in your organization. Y'all can sit around the table one day and say, it's not working, guys. Let's just change the rules. And white people change the rules all the time, usually to benefit them. But you can come around, you can sit around the table and say, let's change the rules. Let's come up with a new way we want our board to structure. Let's come up with a function. Let's come up with the way we want our seasons to be planned. Let's come up with a new way of, of having a more equitable loyalty program, subscription. Maybe it's a membership model like Netflix, which I've seen float around. There are many things that you can change and it's not even that hard to do. So those that are working for predominantly white organizations know that fiercely anti-racist white organizations can do a lot of good, can do a lot of good. And racism, evil perpetuates when people do nothing. And, and change, uh, just to add on to that, Michael, change doesn't happen without some struggle, right? And, uh, and nonprofits were founded on being able to help the community, right, that they're sitting in. And so I think this is a time where all nonprofits, right, are going to have to really look at and say, how much are we really serving our community? How much are we really serving the people on this block, the people around the corner, the people two or three blocks, right, and really getting back to the heart and figuring out who you're really serving? Um, because a lot of times in the theater, um, we have this, like, success model of, like, if we can transfer shows, if we can get shows in New York, mm -hmm. if we can get shows to a certain place, then we're successful. So then what happens is we get away from that nonprofit model. Sometimes with theater or entertainment ends up being do the show, sell tickets, do the show, sell tickets. And that becomes the main sort of focus on everything. When a nonprofit, right, a community organization, that's not really what it's about at the heart of why it's there, 
right? It's there to help the community. And so uh, we need to have, I think, uh, more black leaders, right? Touching on what all of you have touched on a bit, right? In the boards um, and looking at that structure of the board. And a lot of times in the theater, the board is very much about how much money you can raise, right? Um, and we got to look at, okay, maybe this person doesn't have $30,000 to give this year or $10,000 to give, but how can, but they also can connect us to the community in ways that we haven't uh, thought about. Um, they, they can bring us more young people. They can bring us more diverse. Right? There's other things and ways that people can benefit beyond just financial means. And to be able to change board structure, part of it's going to have to be that, right? And we also can't, we also shouldn't also with that assume that just because people are of a certain race that they do not have the money to give, because that's mm -hmm. also the piece of it as well, right? That we have to pay attention to. And sometimes, you know, people say, well, I can't find board members of color or black board members. But a lot of times I found that some cities or towns, they're going to the same five or six people who are well known in the community. And those folks are already sitting on three or four boards and we got to wait for them to cycle off. But there's so many other people that want to give, that want to give their time, that, that love the organization, that are passionate about it. And so giving people and breaking that model and giving people opportunities in other ways um, that are, that we see as just as equitable and just as equal, right, as um, those dollars that they can give, right? More black directors, um, more black ADs, and more black managing directors. I was gonna say, um, you were asking for concrete things. I'm looking at Children's Theater Foundation of America, the board, last year when we did you know equity diversity inclusion training and sometimes that's like perfunto we do it and it's the next year we and i think looking at the idea of we've done that can't be the mantra i think we should stop saying edi i think we should say equity diversity inclusion because when we get to those acronyms it becomes like oh it was something we've done so long that we got an acronym for it and every generation every board coming through every new person coming through if they don't understand the concept and they're hearing edi it's like okay yeah check that off box move on so that whole idea of um meaningful um board change not just for the theater but for the board and how does it become um inclusive that that whole that whole uh, uh, training understanding because this, this moment's going to pass and in five years people are going to say oh anti-racism was or in two years or even sadly maybe in a year I know I hope not but that how do we make that part of the system not only the change systemically something that in every two or three years we really look dynamically at what is happening in inclusion rather than assuming we've done that or it's kind of like at one point people assumed okay we did the black pay in february and so check keep moving on so so you know but now we're seeing more diverse seasons how can we do that all throughout uh you know like when you're talking about systemically how do we know we're going to come back to it every year is it in the plan i like what you said about money you know, what are we learning about money? In the education, because a lot of our theaters have uh, uh, education arms, 
what are we educating all children about, and particularly children of color? Uh, I will look on a website sometime and I see a whole busload of African-American children coming to a performance. But then I look deeper into the website and I don't see any black children in the classes. I don't see any black children. I look down the board and sometimes they put pictures and that, you know, so I think we need to look at our website, websites, and if it's not deep in there, then say, how can we make it deep? I think if you came in and you took a picture when those, that group of black kids are coming into the uh, theater. If someone came in, if that photographer roamed every, any day randomly and they took a picture, what would they see? And what would that picture say about that theater? And ask, do we want our theater to say this? Uh, so drop in pictures for our own edification. Uh, that resonates with me and I'm really, Courtney, I'm gonna turn it to you because I know you've been waiting. I just wanted to say, thinking about your, the imagery of having the art <laughs> woven in, we should also have diversity woven in. And that was gonna be my transition to you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I have three things to say. Okay. Uh, first one, to, to, to Gloria's point, and to, I think to answer this question is about, uh, it's not just about the external, though I am a visual person, so I love that, but looking and listening internally. Uh, I have for several years been a co-chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force, Task Force which definitely comes down to DEI group, da 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 And more recently, we've developed a research committee uh, and a vetting committee, and we had to name ourselves. The first meeting was name yourself, and we had a whole conversation and we thought, well, the point of this is to, be, to, to start to build an equity plan to, to, that has very specifically anti-racism at the heart of the core of that. So let's make sure we're naming that. And I actually feel like I heard that from Stephanie Yabara last year. So we are the anti-racism strategy group. Now, in the more recent moments, we've gone from this like research and development uh, entity to like supporting the organization very, very quickly with not a lot of training. But what we have learned over that time is that uh, we need to make sure that we're making, making sure that everybody in the whole organization, um, including those who are a uh, part of our youth uh, engagement programs, are a part of developing training and, and developing common language. So that to me is like a, a very basic foundational piece that then we can um, also be creating equitable or equity plans, excuse me, and racial justice plans um, as part of the internal structures, those infrastructures, right? That then I think that will have resonance on the stories that we tell, the curation, who we're talking to, how we're talking to the external partners, et cetera, in our audiences. So that, that's one. Two, um, um, I'm hoping that Greg can put up this model. One of my colleagues um, put up, uh, on Facebook, Cheyenne uh, Neary, she uh, put this up on Facebook and I was like, I love a visual. What is this? So this idea of mapping our, our roles in the, uh, a social change ecosystem and what's in the center there is equity, inclusion, um, liberation, justice. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble reading that last one. Sustainability, what is it? Sustainability, solidarity, sorry. Thank you, thank you, Greg. Uh, sustainability, resilience, and interdependency. And so that being sort of the, the sun or the orb, and then these roles are, are uh, 
orbiting right uh, around it and so thinking about like what can you be what kind of role could you have i'm going to read this and i'm also going to tell you where i found this or where it's from uh so deepa Iyer, uh who's a part of solidarity is she's a lawyer she's a facilitator a writer and this is specifically on building movement projects which is a website um and so there's a lot of different kinds of roles. For me, I, I feel like I'm a caregiver or and a weaver and a storyteller. So that's what I keep thinking about. Um, but I, I suggest that we, we, in order to make change, and this is for everybody, that we start to think about what is our role and how do we use our, our roles together in community in service of those, uh, uh, that sun, <laughs> the liberation, justice, uh, equity, et cetera, inclusion. Okay. Last thing I wanted to say was um, I also, I, I'm super overwhelmed by the amount of uh, resources that are available that are coming out in over the last couple of weeks. They're all, I'm sure, great, but something like this may make sense to then help me figure out what, wh how to start, basically. Um, so the last thing I wanted to say was that uh, I've also uh, take it as an educator, um, sorry to think about this idea of abolition uh, abolitionist teaching and thinking about uh, and, and only just scratching the surface and uh, surface and, and learning uh, about that from a webinar recently and need to do more work but that's another point from from my perspective about how can we really start to embed new practices new approaches inside of our work um, and that idea of how educators and our, our the artistic groups really need to be working together in conjunction um, much more than maybe they have been to date. Um, thinking about all of these, it's a lot, I know, but I'm just trying to flirt flat. <laughs> what, what I'm loving, what I'm hearing so far is that, um, you know, I'm hearing what the overwhelming thing I'm hearing from all of, of all of you, if I can just sort of condense it a little bit is, that these are very fixable things that, but it just takes intentionality, which is probably not a word, but I'm, we're talking about radical changes. And so part of that includes making up words. Um, and also some courage, creativity as well. I mean, I always say that theater is such a house of cards, right? And it's a miracle that, you know, it, it's a ton of work and walking the tightrope to do a bad show. Right. Um, and yet we fumble when it comes to things that we know what we're supposed to be doing. Right. But they're scarier. They're harder and but they're fixable. And it really just comes down to being the contrarian in the room to say, maybe we should think this differently. Um, I love, Michael, what you said about looking laterally. Right. Like look across. Look, to, we only theater people only just be talking to other theater people or other education people or arts people, you know, it's like, yeah, the economists, because a lot of times they're really excited to talk to us, you know what I mean? Um, and so looking laterally for solutions, right? We don't have to go this alone. Let's extend that collaborative spirit that we use to make shows out beyond <laughs> the context of the people we need to make shows happen, you know? So all of that, I think is, um, I just, I'm summarizing this for maybe the people who came in a little late and because I'm getting a lot of questions around like the how part. So I just want to kind of throw it back out to people that, you know, these are some of the things that have, you know, been said, but I also want to be just, if I may, be a little protective of my, my fellow panelists and say that like, it, and to put a, another exclamation point on something Michael said, which is like, you know, it is not, it is, it is 
additional labor to look to your black and other people of color, um, indigenous folks, uh, Latinx folks, Asian folks, uh, and, and be looking to them to solve things that, you know, we're, we're trying to navigate it. We, 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 we had to carry a lot to even get in the positions where we're in. Um, it's not saying that we, um, that everyone doesn't work hard, but I think what I'm saying is that I want to challenge anyone um, who is not black indigenous person of color to throw those questions back on themselves. You know, how, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do to fix it, right? Um, because, you know, it can't be, it can't be like also on us to like be owners of black lives and navigate the world. And also, you know, and there's a whole history we can get into of black folks cleaning up white folks' mess. Um, anyway, I wanna get, I wanna honor uh, one more question. And if I may just show a bit of bias because I'm a playwright. Uh, this was a question focused uh, for the playwrights uh, as soon as I can find it. It says, oh my gosh, hold on, bear with me. Uh, yeah, here we go, here we go. Uh, uh, I've lost it, guys, I'm sorry. Um, I, I want to put a pen in something you said that yeah. this is a creative industry. We are, the, we are professional creatives. We can come up with solutions. Someone asked, what about, uh, how do you keep accountability? Draft your plans, make your plans, make, sure action, make, sure, make your action plans, make sure they have measurables and then publish yeah. it. Put it yes. in the world so that the world can hold you accountable. Don't keep it internal. That's right. Facebook, put it on your email, send it out to every single patron saying, here's what we're gonna do to fight racism. And then, then there's your accountability. I and love that. Real. Like our inboxes are full of emails from everything you've subscribed to ever saying Black Lives Matter and we're gonna do this one or two things, but it's like you're saying, Gloria, it, next year it might look different. Next year it might not be there, so. Yeah, like Charles Blow says, right? Oh, Gloria, you're muted, you're you're muted that's all. Let me unmute Gloria. Sorry. Oh, still muted. <laughs> I'll say my piece and then you'll, you'll figure your piece out, yeah? But I, okay. um, I was just saying that um, Charles Blow talks about that in his articles uh, from like two, a week ago, I think, where this is not the Black Lives Matter Coachella. Like this is, this is a, the, the idea of like fixing it. Wow. And having, I know, I love Charles Blow. Um, the, <laughs> that, 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 you know, the, the want to change now doesn't mean that, um, you know, you get to, 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 it doesn't, what's the word, you know, it's like not a fad, right? That's not the right word, but you know what I'm trying to say, like, that this is a commitment, a lifelong commitment to doing this work, that there is not an actual fix, there's work to be done, and it's always going to Ongoing. be Exactly. And it's not a gift. Dismantling racism is not a gift. It is in the theaters, in a theater's self-interest to, to do it. I mean, it is the, the benefits will be phenomenal. And I love what you're saying about making it measurable in a year, in, in two years, how many people of color will you have sitting in the seats? How many people of color will you have in your classrooms? How many, how many don't African-American people of color donors Will you have giving large contributions to your theater because 
you are speaking to the community that that donor is coming from. Mm -hmm. um, so that whole idea of broadening our community, I, a lot of times we think of the umbrella, we're under the umbrella of TYA or some people do. I think we should close those umbrellas and just say, it's the sky. There is no umbrella, there's a sky, look up, make it big, uh, let it rain. No, I'm just saying, but, mm -hmm. but um, let it rain down justice, mercy, love, stories, and a new tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And to your earlier point, you can't give what you don't have. So you can't have this intention to bring diversity to the world and not have diversity in your institution. And I'm talking about people in power. I've been at the center for six years. The one director of color was just furloughed. Let's talk about it. How are we investing in people to hold positions of power? And I think asking for it too. I've been lucky enough coming into the, uh, several situations. I would name the theaters, I guess I should, uh, where I said, I need a black designer. I can't, you know, I, 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 I love you. I love the people who are here, but I need a black designer on this show. I need a black musician. I need, this is who I need on this show and asking for it. And then the theater stepping up and saying, and then going back and seeing either that for my show, it's there and it may not be there for another show or the joy of going back and seeing for a totally different type of show, those people are still in place and they're informing different types of theater uh, in a wonderful, new, exciting way. So pulling down the umbrellas, looking up at the sky and don't be afraid because it's big. Mm. Say that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say I that. get excited with TYA because we just got possibility. We just can't do so much. Possibility, you know what I'm saying? Like this. No, 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 Gloria. Hey, listen, listen. The pleasure's all ours. Wow, hallelujah. Um, well, listen, we are we are coming up on our time, and so with this last round, here's what I would love um, as we get to the end here. Um, you know, would love any like what are you? Um, you know, I, we'll call this silver linings. We'll call this silver linings. We, we obviously all lost things. You know, everybody, we have that in common across the whole world. Um, terrible, tragic things, right? Um, but what, are, what is the silver lining in your mind? What is the thing that you are, you were surprised that you're actually grateful for? Um, in this moment, um, as a again, as a as a human, as an artist, as both, um, what is your what is your silver lining? Uh, I'll start it off. I think for me, my silver lining uh, has been um, through all, and I've heard other people say this as well. Is that you know, with the virus, right, and also all having a quarantine, it's made a lot of people's relationships closer. Uh, a lot of conversations that people didn't get an opportunity to have, they've, they're having, they're reconnecting with their parents, they're reconnecting with their spouse or their partner, they're reconnecting with their children. Um, and so part of with the virus for me has been that time to reconnect with family, friends, catching up with old classmates, reconnecting, spending time with my, with my boys. Um, and I think through all of this, you know, with the, with everything that's happened with, uh, racism and systemic and George Floyd, for me, it's just people, this has been the biggest movement they say, right. Since the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that it had to happen this way. Right. 
But I hope that because some people for the first time are realizing, oh my God, this is a problem. And I just hope like we all have said that people are now able to act on that permanently and not just feel that way for today, tomorrow, this week or next month, because it's necessary at this point. Silver lining for me. Hi, Dexter. <laughs> Go ahead, Gloria. Well, I'll go in, in the meantime. Just thinking about uh, recognition from lots of folks from the world that Black history doesn't start with slavery. So I'm hopeful and excited about a future in TYA where we're talking about fables. We've got ancient Egypt. We've got a library of Alexandria where we're, we're creating stories and telling stories pre-slavery. Uh, last year was a busy year for me. I... Um... Got my kid graduated from high school, got him off to college. We took a trip to Vietnam, which is where he was born. I left Adventure Theater after 12 years, moved my whole family to Boston, started a new job, a turnaround project. And so my silver lining is during quarantine, I got to take a nap, <laughs> I got to just get some sleep. So, I mean, now I'm like spending all my time on uh, learning about reopening and and staying up on 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 trying to change the company because of this nice convergence of, of these two things but i got to take a nap for a couple of weeks uh, I, um, uh, I started this with talking about how my parents are at the forefront of everything and uh that idea of like fierce love this of course I think about love a lot so I thought I'd read this little snippet of a poem uh this is from Maya Angelou it's not even a poem I think she was just talking but I'm not sure so she was talking about a mother and she says I I'm grateful to have been loved to be loved now and to be able to love because that liberates love liberates it doesn't just hold that's ego love liberates um, so uh, I encourage all of us to think about our roles, to listen, to act, um, to love, to collaborate, and understand that, you know, we have work to do as a community. Um, and thinking again about that idea of seven generations in the future, but that what we do now actually has the, 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 the potential for and, um, you know, positive impacts for this particular generation. So that's what I'm thinking about. I think, um, I, as you said, that sense of having, as I say, run, been running the streets and then having to stop because you're not able to go anyplace, um, even though shows were canceled and that kind of thing. I found it a blessing to be with my husband and Zooming and just being in the house and having a time to reflect. And then uh, at the death of uh, Michael Floyd and that whole rethinking and seeing the energy in the streets and seeing um, and having theaters reach out and also reaching out to theaters and individuals 
and having deeper conversations about a lot of things. And I know we're not carrying the burden of what somebody else thinks or feels, but it felt good to have some real conversations about some real things that were concerning me. Um, and then there's a sense of joy that we will keep going and that there will be change. And that, uh, as you said, we're, we create story. We're writing the story now that we want to live, that we want to read in the future. So how do we want to write it? We can do it in the sense of characters, plot, all that good stuff. How are we going to write that story now? So I'm excited, um, even through a bit of pain. I'm excited. All right. Well, thank you all so much. The silver lining for me, obviously, is this time I got to spend with you. Um, and my hope is that it happens um, on a, in, in good times as well, not just in tragic times. So, um, man, I just want all y'all to know that, that, that I see you all. I deeply appreciate you all. I, I stay in this game because of you all. And I'm honored to be building with you all in this moment in time. Um, I thank everyone who tuned in, who had questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all your questions. Um, and of course, want to shout out the good folks at TYA USA for continuing to create platforms um, for, for theater artists who do this work. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, y'all. Uh, stay safe. Thank you all. We'll see you next time. And uh, look out for more exciting content and webinars. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to Episode 32, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. No Umbrella. Join us next time for Act 2. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the brand new pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB, and now on YouTube. Check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and enjoy the hashtag Keep Making Art video series. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Ooh.